Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Show notes can be found on rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. You will also find a link to sign up to the Rockstar Today Backstage Pass Facebook group. And now your host, Randall. So welcome to Rockstar Today podcast, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. And today we have as a guest, Kelly, Kelly Fitzsimmons. Hi. Got the name, finally. There you go. It's a mouthful. I yeah. blame my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so we just before the, the show started, we were talking a little bit about uh, streaming and the abundance of streaming, which is kind of crazy these days, and setups. And we both have been investing in our Zoom setup. I just got my lights, uh, like I'll turn it off for those to see. So this is me without that little, it, it, it's only like uh, 50 bucks to get a nice light. And I have a green screen that I have to put up very shortly, but you have yours already. So if you're watching yeah. the video uh, and it looks good because with the green screen, you don't see that, that ghosting or when you move your hands, it's a little bit distracting. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, it's a really great system. My husband um, invested in a three-point lighting system. I mean, so this is a sophisticated rig. I mean, I can kind of cheat here and I'll show you like behind the scenes what's going on. <laughs> so it's a lot. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be expensive, right? Like I, I got my gear for a hundred bucks on Amazon. Actually, yeah. I'll, put, I'll put a link on the show notes of exactly what I bought. Uh, I did a little uh, guide to what to buy on Amazon. If Perfect. Streaming. But you're saying that you're helping a lot of bands stream these days through an organization. And yeah, so so there's a nonprofit called Rock the Stream. It's actually Rock the Green is the original. Um, it's a eco um, conservation uh, live event. So every couple of years they get together and big bands, big acts, you know, about 5,000 people come together to talk about the environment. And so Lindsay Stevens, who's the founder, is a friend of mine since we were 10 years old. And so over the years, Jeff and I have been helping out behind the scenes. Well, she decided to do Rock the Stream and start putting live artists out there to help them, you know, really busk uh, in a better way and partner them with a no another nonprofit. So it'll be like the River Keepers and an artist. And she's been raising a lot of money for artists that have lost their income. You know, they're full-time artists that aren't gigging and aren't touring and it's been and it's a real been flavor phases, of right? it's been phases along the years i mean first people lost uh, the actual sale of music when all the records right. were closed down and the streaming started and if you don't have streaming rights you're kind of stuck uh, yeah your label that has it they're the ones that are raking in a lot of money and you're getting nothing and now that the, the only thing that they had was live shows and maybe merch maybe merch you're Although those 360 deals are taking that away too. I mean, it's, you know, it's a really tough time to be an artist. So a lot of the work that I've been doing, you know, as an artist and working with artists, musicians specifically, has been really trying to explore, like, what are the new domains? Like, how do we, how do we make a living? How do we have a sustainable career uh, in this day and age where it really feels like everything is kind of stacked against artists? Mm -hmm. I interviewed somebody uh, last week. TED Talk speaker, and we are talking about this idea that I have. I'm, uh, I haven't published the audio yet or the video. Uh, hopefully, we do that t tonight. 
but uh, maybe I'll just reiterate what I, the idea I came up with. And I was just brainstorming with her on different things. And, and uh, I thought about this earlier, but of doing something a little catchy, trying to make sure that it's viral, but call it uh, Give Five, Pick Five. Mm. And it's about just finding a local indie artist that you like and you donate five bucks. Yeah. Just five bucks. And then you tag five friends so they can, they can do the same. And this That's exponential great. growth. So I thought if I can get that going, just give five, tag five. Oh, uh, I love that. Just to you help know, we out. Have to, we have to be really creative today. We have to figure out new things and do it differently because this is, we're in such uncharted territory uh, with COVID and in um, live events, you know, I don't see them being really back to normal for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at one or two years, maybe. Easily. Uh, yeah. And there's a whole, as you know, there's a whole infrastructure behind the scenes that people don't see, you know, so, you know, a lot of our good friends who work in lighting design and stage production and um, manage yeah, like, catering. Yeah. Craft service. I mean, yeah. It's awful. And so we're really trying to think hard about, you know, how do we create things that people can attend, but do it safely, you know, as individuals. So I've been having a lot of fun talking to other entrepreneurs, really looking at the, the cutting edge of technology, say, what can we do that we haven't dreamed up yet? What platforms do we have that exist that we haven't used in this particular way yet? You know, some really, really promising technology out of New York. I've been talking to an entrepreneur who is got a basically a platform to do Pokemon Go for music. It's called Audio Drops, where you can walk down the street and you can pick up a song. Um, and so it's really starting to look at like, what can we do differently? Could we have that experience also include a busker? So somebody could virtually busk, you know, on a stoop in New York and you could see them perform through your phone, through augmented reality, pick up their song and leave them, you know, leave them something yeah. in the tip jar. That's really so, cool. That's really yeah, cool. there's, there's so much we can do. We just have to put our creativity on and try to make sure that we don't just completely throw the covers over our heads and just go to sleep for a while. I mean, right now, everybody is doing streaming and some of them are good, like we were talking about. Some of them are terrible, like terrible lighting or no real story behind it, just talking to a couple of their friends and they're just recording it. Uh, there's also been some live concerts or rebroadcasting of live concerts. Mm -hmm. And I find yeah. that that's all right. So some of them, like I was watching one two weeks ago and uh, some of them were really good. I was watching one by 21 Pilots and the sound was terrible. You could hardly hear it. Yeah. So the quality was good for some, bad for others, but still it wasn't a live performance or just a replay of something that I could probably have found on YouTube if I looked hard enough. Right. You know, there's a lot of recycling of content, but what we're really being asked is what can we do that's new and never been done before? And, you know, some of the stuff has been interesting with people performing at home and there's been a lot of talk about authenticity and like, wow, you get to sort of see that more intimate performance. And at some point that's going to grow old too, because of the lack of lighting, because <laughs> the, you know, the lack of interesting things to look at, or you've heard this song or you've heard that song too many times. And so there is, you know, in marketing, the idea of scarcity, um, driving value. And if we overexpose ourselves and we're, we're out there busking every single week or multiple times a week, the competition A is stiff. And are we doing anything that's genuinely new and different? At some point, you're going to exhaust your audience and you don't want to do that. So part of what we've been trying to dream up 
you know, here with our group of friends that work behind the scenes in production is how do we create something that's beautiful, interesting, and safe? So that's some of the work that we're doing. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you'll start to see some of the stuff that we put forth. And, you know, really trying to build it from the bottom up with artist safety in mind, but making it interesting and beautiful and artistic and, you know, something worth watching. Yeah. You know, there's like the tiny desk concerts. Those yeah. Are interesting. Wonderful. But they have a theme. They have a, you know, there's a, it's a certain setting that makes it kind of warm. It has to be stripped down because there's a limited space. So there is ways to uh, work with something like an idea like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's such a great I mean, example. Tiny bathroom concerts. Everybody goes to the bathtub, <laughs> but who knows? I mean, what's in the fridge contest? You know, yeah. concerts. You know, you can open the fridge and be like, "Let's see what can we make here." You can have so much fun with it. Just you know, getting you know, and and then you know, every you know, ingredient could be another song or lead to a story of a song that you want to sing and why. I mean, you can have so much fun with it. Just trying to create something that hasn't been done before. And because we're in this weird time, we're all you know, stuck at home climbing the walls. This is when our creativity can really work for us, but it also can work against us. And you can also, the opposite is overthinking it and not doing anything and really falling into the sort of the pits of despair, which you know, absolutely is happening to not just individuals, but a lot of artists. And so, just try to keep yourself out there and at the same time how do you do it in a way that doesn't deplete and exhaust you uh, you know there's a lot of talk about essential services out there yeah and of, of course there are uh, essential services uh, that are extremely important for health and safety but uh, my position is that music is an essential service yeah. it's an essential service for the soul like to, to feel yeah. good and to, even uh, I just subscribed to uh, brain.fm mm -hmm. I haven't ago. heard of that no, write it down so right now I'll put a link in the show notes, but there's a, you can listen to it for free. It's focus music. Oh, wonderful. So you can listen to it on for free on YouTube because wow. they're, they're just offering this for the COVID-19 uh, period where people are working from home and it, it's insane. And I got it from my business partner who is about as distracted as I am. <laughs> we, we tend to be ADD when it comes to stuff. I, we're both in tech, right? So there's emails mm -hmm. galore all day long. Uh, and you just end up getting distracted for things. And this is focus music. And it's it's insane how much I've been able to actually get a lot of work done just because of the music I've selected to listen to while I'm, while I'm working. Yep. I have, a, I have a playlist that I've put together over 100 songs. It's called Productivity. And it's really in that, in that trying to find ones that help click in. And I, and I am clinically diagnosed with ADHD. When I took the test back and gosh, over a decade ago, you know, it was like a six hour test at a hospital to be properly tested. And mm -hmm. I was off the fricking charts. They hadn't seen anything quite like me before. I broke the Wisconsin card sort. Nobody had ever done it that badly. And I was like, oh, I guess that's a badge of honor somehow. <laughs> um, so I, for me, I have to take it very seriously. I've got all sorts of things that I do to, to help me maintain focus. And right now it's a serious stack of productivity journals and using the artist ways morning pages as part of my structures of keeping my brain clear and getting the jetsam and flotsam out of my brain onto paper so that I can focus and really show up as I need to for the artists that I work with. 
what are you seeing that are the most common areas where artists are losing focus or having trouble uh, during this time? Is it uh, just staying creative or is it staying active? What, what do you, or is it just, just financial? Yeah, I mean, the, the financial stuff can overwhelm you pretty quickly. And in Milwaukee, where I'm based, you know, we've been lucky in sort of, in so far as there's been a lot of grants that have been made available, particularly for musicians, you know, that were there immediately to start supplementing income and gap from, you know, gigging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it still doesn't, you know, for full-time artists, it's not close to replacing, you know, what they need. And so a lot are doing the, you know, the virtual live streaming, as we were talking about, and really busking, you know, that's what they're doing. They're virtually busking. That takes a toll. That takes a real toll. Others are getting creative and, you know, doing other things. Friends of mine in the band, Raina, Vic and Gabby have been creating some amazing video content. A lot of it just them cooking and stuff like that and really connecting with their fans, you know, showing them what they like to make. And it's just delightful stuff. Other friends are having a really hard time creating. Just, and you have to give grace for that because this is a traumatic period of time. It's not time to be, you know, super productive. It's really time in part to rest and reorient and really think hard about like what is it and why are you doing this as an artist you know what are you trying to accomplish and I think that those conversations are easy to lose touch with when you're in the midst of the go-go you know gigging and you've got summer coming up and you're going to be playing out 50 hours you know a week or whatever it is and that's some of my some of my friends have that kind of crazy schedule. One of my friends I was talking to last night, he's a guitarist. He had last summer um, a situation where every week he had to learn 21 new songs for the bands that he'd be playing out with. Like a session musicians. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, wow. just the, yeah, I mean, just trying to think of the, like, not just know the songs, but play them, you know, to a level that he's, a, he's just a virtuoso guitarist, you know, to be able to play it at his level and then get on stage and perform with them. And, you know, he's like, it was exhausting. And he also teaches at two colleges. And so like trying to balance those whole loads, this is, this is really a gift. And some artists are seeing it as the gift that it is to say, what do I want to do differently going forward? Do I want to go back to those crazy hours? Do I want to go back to being a gigging musician? And my conversation with Steve, the guitarist, he's like, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to do something different. And I don't know what that is yet, you know, and it's like, it was such a great, honest conversation to have about how do you reorient now that you've gotten something that you've never really had before? Because if you've been a gigging musician since high school or college, you've never had this kind of pause. And I think it's a huge gift to sit back and go, well, what am I doing this for? Am I doing the things I want to do or do I feel obligated to do them? And they might not be the right thing for me. I'm also thinking... For some, it's for the ego. I mean, going up on stage and having hundreds or thousands of people clapping at you and yelling, it feeds your ego. But when that, when that is gone, it must be incredibly difficult if that's your only motivation. Yeah. Uh, so you have to kind of dig deeper and go back to maybe that why. Like, you know, Simon Sinek, Start With Why, applies in so many things. It's like, why did you start the musical experience of this journey? Is totally. it just to get likes? Because that's not fulfilling. You'll, you'll never, it's like trying to catch wind, you know, you'll never have enough. I heard you mention this on an earlier podcast, and I couldn't agree more about the, the role of the ego and, you know, how, and how fame plays into it and how people chase fame. And then when you get fame, 
and you think this is the thing that you wanted, it, it never is. And then you want to go back to how it was before. You know, in terms of background, I've been working with artists for the last several years as basically a, as a coach on the mental wellness piece, like helping artists get out of their own emotional way. And it's really been a labor of love. I've, I've done this because I have spent 25 years being an executive in technology, you know, and was lucky enough to be successful in those domains to be able to step back and finally concentrate on what I love. And I woke up while I was writing this book called Lost in Startup Landy about my experience as a startup venture-backed CEO to go, you know, musicians are entrepreneurs too, but they don't get any of the cred. They don't get any, like no, you know, parent is super psyched when their kid comes home, like, I'm going to be an artist, you know? And, but you come back and say, mom, dad, I'm a tech CEO. They're like, oh, great. You're killing it. And it's like, it's just as hard. And if not harder to be an artist, because you can never hide behind the artifice of the startup and you're putting yourself and your emotions and stuff out there in such a real and hopefully, you know, raw way, your failures are feel much more personal. So that was what drew me to it. And so I was writing the book. I started working with this group of artists through a program called Backline based out of Milwaukee. And uh, each of these artists had um, been awarded $20,000 to help take them from local to national. Mm. I had gotten involved as a donor to the program and I'd gotten myself into this place where I said, look, I really don't want to give money to people to put themselves up in that big spotlight called fame only to have all of their trauma and their demons show up and dance. Like we'll hurt people mm -hmm. if we don't handle the emotional stuff behind it. And the only reason I knew that was because having gone through the cycle of success myself, gotten to the other side, got the money, got the, you know, in my niches, my, you know, 15 minutes of fame, I know personally how empty it is. And so I didn't want artists going out there and being rudely surprised and then having that horrible moment of like, oh my God, well, what do I do now? I got everything I wanted and not have some basic tools. And that's and also where the, the imposter syndrome every, uh, shows up. Uh, totally. Especially when you're famous, because you're going like, if, if they find out I'm just a regular person, it's all going to come crashing down. So you have to kind of keep acting out and become larger than life. And then you just become disconnected with reality eventually. Well, for sure. I mean, it's masks. I mean, this is, but if you're an actor, at least you're trained in what a mask is. Very few artists handle it well because it's a real confusion between who am I and who is the artist. And you might have multiple masks that you wear, you know, and, and just managing a persona can suffocate you if you don't know how you're doing it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go come right back. This is the book they got to read. Mm. Alter the Alter Ego. Very cool. Todd, actually, I should reach out to him. I talked to him about being on the show, but I, that was before the show actually started. So now it's a up and live. So, but that's a perfect example of, of stepping into a character, but then stepping back out, you can become yourself. Right. I mean, a lot, a very few people really think through when they're starting out because the fame piece seems so attractive to think about like, how do I turn it off? You know, how do I walk away from this so I can walk down the street? If I'm really successful, how do I go grocery shopping? Most people don't really take the time because they think they're so thinking this is a great thing, mm -hmm. but every 
example I've ever seen of fame on the other side, it's horrifying. Like it's just, it's an invasion of privacy. It's a really difficult relationship with certain fans. There's as much downside as there is to upside. And so I think it's just a neutral thing. I think it, if, if, you, if you really get there, it just kind of neutralizes itself. You can use it as a platform to be helpful in the world and to help create change that you want to see in the world. And that's also very difficult to do without alienating fans, but you can be very mindful as long as you know who you are and where the mask starts and stops so that you're not confusing, you know, confusing things. And that's very hard to do because beyond persona, and this is what we work about in Backline a lot, is we're dealing with shadow, the stuff we don't want to know about ourselves, the stuff we don't recognize in ourselves, because everybody has an aspirational view of who we want to be. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to mistake that as to who we are. And so when we screw up, we think it's a one-off. But the truth is there's always these underlying patterns. We all have it. And so part of the whole program is really trying to dig at who are we when things go wrong? Because in any career that is hard enough and, and, and you're passionately invested in, such as a music career, things are going to go terribly wrong. Who are you in that moment? If there's too much confusion between who you are as a person and your values and your persona as a performer, it gets really messy. And people can have pretty bad mental breaks. It's the same with, with money, I find. Um, money doesn't change you. It amplifies who you really are. So if you're, uh, and I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. I, I was, uh, when I was first married, I was extremely stingy and cheap and not generous. And I, I actually feel, felt bad because I was, I took that away from my wife for a while. I, I was forcing her to become as cheap as me uh, because I thought, and this was a limiting beliefs, but I, I had the, the mindset of scarcity. So I was like, I don't have enough money. I have credit card bills. So if I give away money, then I won't be able to pay my bills. But I always was in this constant thing where I, was, I never did pay off my credit cards. And then something switched when I learned more about the mindset of abundance. Mm -hmm. And then I figured, you know, even if I have more money, I'm, not, I'm still not going to be that same person. So I have to change who I am first and take money out of the equation. And it's when I did that flip about being more generous and I ended up being generous with money, generous with ideas, and generous mm -hmm. with my time, like doing this, I'm not going to pay for this. That's when... I started paying off my debts, got no credit card debts anymore. Things change because, uh, again, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's so real and so valuable to know this is that who we are as a person comes out in the most stressful times. Absolutely. And you said fractal. We don't think about this, but how you are in one domain is how you are in all domains. So if you're stingy with money, you're also going to be stingy most likely with praise in other domains. Like it just, it's one of those weird aspects of persona and personality where it's not like you can just be, have a scarcity mindset over in this one corner called money. Mm -hmm. um, and it does, it impacts so many things. And it, these limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves, it's part of the operating system that was laid down so early in childhood, you know, and we walk around thinking these things are true, but they're just unquestioned beliefs of a child that may have heard something or even heard something wrong, but my gosh, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm, you know, an insert word. For me, I grew up, I have dyslexia. And so I wasn't reading as a child. And so 
I had a belief that I was stupid and not just a little stupid. I really thought that if they tested me, I was just going to be bottom of the barrel. And so that belief was so much part of my life. Everything was about proving that wrong, every orientation. So, you know, in some ways that, you know, helped me, I mean, it got me into college and eventually I started reading in college, got me into grad school, go to a fancy grad school, get the, you know, nice diploma, but it didn't solve that problem. So even now I'm, in, you know, CEO at 25, what do I do? Well, I got to look smart. So what does that mean? That means that I talk over people, that I'm always using big words. I don't ask questions. You know, I have to be the smartest person in the room, which if you've ever spent time with the smartest person in the room, it's awful. It's like the worst awful trait. It was all built on this tiny little story I told myself when I was around eight years old that, you know, it was only a matter of time till people figured out I wasn't smart. And it wasn't true. You know, I just had dyslexia, but my little eight-year-old didn't understand that. And so I put myself on a life course and cultivated some real shadow qualities. And one of my, so my shadow is really around trying to make sure that the world never sees me as stupid, crazy, or a failure. And so I will overwork. I will, I mean, I almost died from exhaustion from overworking. I mean, hundred hour work weeks, insane stuff that we do in Silicon Valley. It's just, it's awful. And I did that all out of the driven unconscious belief that I had to prove to the world I was smart. And if I could just prove to the world I was smart enough, then I would be successful. And that's never going to come because it's your, your view. It's your vision. It wasn't true. It was never true. And that's a beautiful thing about these things. It's kind of like your scarcity mindset. I had to deal with that too, because I had a situation when I was a kid when I was six, all of a sudden we became very, I became very poor. I was living with my mom and she was a single mother all of a sudden in the Florida Everglades. It was a total context shift for me. You know, all I, my story was it can go away tomorrow. All the money can go away tomorrow. And so I have to, you know, really keep myself in an abundant mindset and remind myself because otherwise I'm convinced on some level my child is that I'll be a bag lady tomorrow. If, and I, if you take this concept even back to the music world even more is that part when uh, Napster kind of took over the world, people were getting music for free and then some bands just could not handle it. It was like a, you know, like an aneurysm. Like, yep. And yeah, I remember like I was there for that. I watched a couple of them have aneurysms. <laughs> so the, they, they were holding on, especially the record labels, they're holding on so tight, but it almost blew up. I mean, you just have to kind of uh, change your mindset. And the, I, I personally find the more I give, the more that comes back with, it's just this weird law. Uh, it, reciprocity. It's real. The real of reciprocity and the and this this beautiful thing. I mean, so so example. You know, things that artists can think in and use tools. Um, so, for instance, girlfriend of mine, Sarah, released a Christmas song last December, and she had been stuck for a really long time, and she was not making music, and she would refer to herself as a recovering musician. And I'm like, you're not a recovering musician. You are a musician. Let's get take that word out and start to get yourself out there again and you know just really stayed on her you know because uh, she's got such a beautiful voice and it really needed to be in the world and she finally took a step and she and she got herself recorded a cover for a, of a christmas song when she put it out instead of just putting it out to make money she partnered with a nonprofit, 
Mm. This was one that she cared deeply about. And she ended up raising $2,700 for that nonprofit. Now she made like $23 on Spotify with that same song. Yeah. But the value of what she created was so much more because she went in it with this beautiful intention of giving back. And so it was, a, it was an incredibly healing situation where now she's not using the recovering word anymore. She's a musician, you know, who's got music in the world. And she's put, she, and she be, was able to create a situation in which she was able to give back. And she put it so well, I was talking to her the other day and she's like, you know, artists think that they don't, they can't give back until they make stacks of money. Like when I make stacks of money, I'm going to open this, you know, for troubled youth, or I'm going to open this and, and work with the homeless. And everybody has those dreams, right? But you can start from the minute you start to put music out. You can tie an attention to it and, and tie a nonprofit or a cause that you care about. These things can work together. As you're saying, it's, there's a magical amount of synergy that can happen when you imbue a work of art with an intention for good. Mirrors my life so so clearly that when I had that scarcity mindset, it was blocking me from any opportunities. Yeah. If if I'm not allowing myself to be generous, I also don't allow other people to be generous with me. Exactly. That's a, such uh, a great insight. It, it's bidirectional. Mm. If you don't trust yourself, others can't trust you, and nor can you trust others. And it's it's not even it's subliminal. Like you just approach somebody. And you have this feeling either of, I want to help or I don't like them. Right. It's, it's such a minute detail, but it's all about mindset. And I think what the work that you're doing must be extremely valuable for the, the artists that you talk to. Because if you can fix the mindset, it opens up this whole world of opportunity. The only thing I would offer is I won't say fix the mindset because it's not about, for me, it's not about fixing. We'll come in and out of these things. You know, good it's point, like, point. you know, it's like there's times when it's like right now where my scarcity mindset is up big time and I have to work with it because I'm like looking at the situation and my bag lady, my inner bag lady is like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? This is terrible. And I'm like, nope, you know, like let's be in dialogue. And so, you know, some of these things are part of us, right? We're never going to, fix them. We're going to have to learn how to be with them and be in conversation with them and offer other choices because there's no such thing as a human being that isn't wearing a pair of glasses and through which it colors and how we see the world. It's how we view things. And it's all our previous experiences. It's every word that everyone has said to us. And it becomes the operating system out of which we work. In it, some beautiful stuff. In it, some some really weird evolutionary stuff. And we've got, you know, a, a tendency to overhear negative information versus positive information. We all suffer from implicit bias in certain ways. And it, it impacts how we see people. We can see it so clearly in others. We can see their biases so yeah. easily, but we can't see our own. All we can say is, I know I have them and I'm going to require friends and people to call me out honestly to tell me when I'm tripping up into my biases and I'm, I'm wearing the glasses to the point of being blind. Um, but we will never able to see clearly. And I think that was, I think if anything from the work I do with artists, I think that's a, that's a big aha of, oh my gosh, my choices are so subconscious. They're driven out of these deep seated fears and the language that we use is the hidden conclusion. And I said mine earlier, crazy, stupid failure. 
We all have some version of that, which we don't want the world to ever see about us. And so when we're on stage, we are presenting the opposite in our persona. It's very rare that we'll step into a persona that is actually the embodiment of our greatest fears. This is why we're doing it in the first place is so that people love us and that they, they don't reject us and they don't abandon us. But if they knew what we really were or in our mind's eye, like if they really knew I was stupid, crazy and a failure, would they be my friend? Would they, would they listen to my art? Would they, would they participate with me? No. I mean, that's a belief that's so low level. And so we try to hide it. And like, so we do like the opposite. The, I like yeah. the thing, uh, you can't see the label when you're inside the jar. Exactly. Oh, I love that. That's such a perfect way of saying it. I love uh, that. I'm gonna uh, is it okay for me to borrow that? Sure. Oh, yeah, I use it all the time. Awesome. What I was thinking is, um, what is the one thing that an artist can do to kind of do that deep work and kind of uncover what that is? Is there a, a yeah. trick that you advise? Yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's awful. I'm just going to just say, I'm going to tell you what it is and nobody's going to do it. Not a single person, not even you, Randall. Nobody is going to do this. And if anybody does, please contact me. Just let me know because it's awful. All right, here's the secret to finding your hidden conclusion. Think of the person that you cannot stand. The person that walks into the room and as soon as they're there, you are walking out of the room. Mm -hmm. And they have certain qualities. These qualities drive you nuts. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. And if they talk to you, it usually will descend into a fist fight. And so most of us have this person. I'll give an example. I was, I was in a program at the Center for Authentic Leadership where I learned really all of this. Um, a lot of the work that I do today is based on my work there. There was a gal that was in my group I so badly wanted to like her and I so badly couldn't. And I was just going out of my skin and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was doing the hidden conclusion work. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. You know, it's, she's, mm -hmm. it's not about, you know, she's not stupid. She's not crazy. She's not a failure. Why, you know, if it's, if it's that, why can't I? It turned out the thing that I was super triggered by and the thing I did not own in myself in my own shadow was that she presented very masculine. I am very masculine. I don't present masculine, I present very feminine, but I had to learn how to do that because a lot of years of being a CEO, of being, you know, being called all sorts of wonderful words, but too bossy and you know, blah, 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 yeah. the typical stuff for girls. And so I masked it in this very feminine, very agreeable, you know, Wisconsin nice kind of persona but it's not really me. <laughs> this is one of my masks. Mm -hmm. I'm much more direct. I want to get to the point. I'm much more masculine in terms of the archetype, right? And so I was triggering because turned out she had been raised in a house full of boys. And so she took on the masculine persona to get the attention of her parents, but she was all girly girl underneath. So there was something a little inauthentic about it as is there something fairly inauthentic about my, my hyper-femininity when I go into it. People, like, they'll know something's off, but they couldn't tell you what it is. But that was what I was tricking. Polarized opposites, try not yeah. to Exactly, like I couldn't go to her until I saw the heartbreak it was for her to give up the pink bows and to give up the frilly dresses and to try desperately to get her parents' approval because 
they just wanted a boy and she happened to be a girl and that wasn't acceptable. And that heartbreak was where I was able to connect. You know, I couldn't be who I was because the world did not want to see a more masculine version of me, at least in my early days. And that was a story I told myself. And so I put that on a shelf and try this on. I'll keep trying this on until people like me. Getting people to like you, that manipulative act of like self-organization is death to the soul. Mm-hmm. And when we see it in others and we see others doing it, those are the people that we have a really hard time being with. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I even find that a good strategy is to, uh, if you want to know more about yourself, a lot of this is self-discovery. This is the perfect time to do it. Because you go to your, your best friend and you ask them, why are you my friend? And you have to ask this question almost 10 times before they can get specific because it's all surface. It's like, yeah, you're, you're fun. You're, you're funny, but why are you my friend? And they have Mm -hmm. to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually you get to the core Mm -hmm. and it helps you understand a bit who you are uh, and and what you bring to the the table in terms of uh, personality or or friendship. And I think the same can be true as an artist. This is the time to, to dig deep and seeing, like we talked about what is your why, like what is your persona, what is your, what is your, like your backstory. Every superhero has a backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, find out what that is and you'll present yourself in a whole different way, whether you're doing a living room streaming concert, like you said, if that ego or that um, I want people to like me or I need attention, if that goes away and you can be authentic, I think that will make a big difference going forward because you'll be ahead of the game by a long shot. But you'll be free. That's the ah, real piece. Better, better than anything. Free, the freedom. It's not, it's like the freedom I feel today to be myself is so huge. You know, I can't even tell you how nice it is to go to, you know, go to bed at night and not be thinking about all the conversations where the things I said were a little bit manipulative. And so I had to keep them all in my head to be able to make sure that I would present us, you know, consistently across time. The, the beauty of getting older has been my memory. I started having memory issues um, really about four years ago and they've gotten pretty severe at times. I can't keep a story straight. So I have to go with what's absolutely true. I can't, I can't manipulate anymore. And it's such a godsend because that desire, that quest to be likable is in all of us, you know? And so no matter where we are in terms of personal discovery and work that we've done, you always will keep bumping up against it. Get a new audience, get a new person in front of you, get a, somebody writing a story, having a conversation like this, the deep seated desire to do ego protection. Look, you should really like me. I'm really a good person. That deep desire is always going to come up. Well, and so the hierarchy of needs. Yeah, exactly. It's Maslow. And so the, the beautiful thing, about it is that if you play it straight and you're you do, it's not hard to play be consistent at all because there's nothing to remember and it frees up like this crazy amount of brain power for creativity i made a very conscious decision about four years ago to step into radical honesty i have a version of radical honesty uh, where i will ask and ask again if people really want my opinion because most people really don't yeah. <laughs> You know, and again, I will always own that this is my opinion. This is not reality. This is just one perspective, right? Mm -hmm. But 
in so doing, it was really freeing because I realized I spent so much time managing conversations and these little things that just a little, little hair off here where I might've just deleted that one aspect of that one story. I had to remember that and it would fill my brain with all of this nonsense and all of this deep-seated fear of being found out, the imposter syndrome, syndrome, which you said before, it is real. It's one of the top three universal fears. I mean, we're all afraid of being rejected and misunderstood. We are all afraid of being seen as an imposter and found out. And the third one is we're all afraid of being blindsided. And people's orders are different and are different times in our lives. It might be different, but it's actually a place to connect with people. We're, that's a universal. We're all desperately afraid of being called out and said, no, you're not really who you are. And as an artist, there's few things more devastating. But if you've got your persona and you know who you are, you can have a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun with this stuff. It doesn't have to suffocate you, but you do have to get really clear on who you are and what are you afraid of being seen as. I, Otherwise, you can't really hold a persona in a healthy way. It reminds me of an interview I did with uh, Bishop Briggs. And for a while, her persona was these uh, two little buns on her, on her top mm -hmm. of her hair. And all the pictures, that's how she looked. And she had this really big song that went uh, really big and made her, uh, you know, step up a cup by a couple notches. As I'm talking to her, we're talking about this moment where she shaved off her head mm -hmm. uh, in solidarity for a friend who had cancer. Mm -hmm. And I saw something in her eyes in this, in this Twitter video. And I asked her, like, what happened there? Like, something happened. Mm -hmm. There was a feeling that washed over you. And she mentioned that she never felt as true to being herself as when she shaved off her head. Then she admitted that uh, she tells people that it was only a couple months ago, but it was over a year ago. So obviously she's reshaved her head. So she's kept mm -hmm. that because that's how she feels who she is. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the second album that came out was way better than the first one because she stepped into her real self. So I think that's, again, it's a, this is a, a perfect time during this time where you have extra time to do this deep work and to try to find out who you are, what's your persona, like you're talking about, discover your shadow, find out what affects you, what are these biases that we have in our childhood or different filters that we put in front of our face to see the world and, and dissect it and we be will come out much clearer. If not more successful, at least we'll be happier because we'll be feel more grounded. And I think that's important. I can't tell you how, this it's might sound way. weird, but when this whole epidemic came and all of a sudden I had uh, speaking engagements that I, I speak on stage and across Canada and stuff, and they were canceled, obviously. And I felt relieved. Yeah. And I, I enjoy traveling. I, I like it's my own version of a tour, but it's yeah. You know, it's just a couple of days here, a couple of days there, but just not having that stress. And I, I can still help people, but I'm just doing it in a different way. Uh, it's very liberating. It's so liberating. I mean, it is. I mean, it's you can look at this as a crisis. You can look at it as an opportunity. It's how you want to hold it. You get to decide. And I and I feel like a lot of folks don't realize that. They think that this is happening to them instead of how is it happening for them. Mm -hmm. This is very much happening for me. I needed this retreat this time to really go inside and to, to rethink because I'm in the process of really stepping away from an identity that I built over 25 years as a technology executive and moving into music 
where now I'm just one of many artists and there's a totally different power structure where, you know, there is no power as an artist unless you're in the one, one percent. And even then it's like the, the, it's, it's such a strange industry, but it's not that different in, in some ways. Every place has its own sort of hierarchy of power. But in this particular space where I'm as in liminal space, right, between the betweenness, I'm not here, I'm not there. It's so freeing to be able to use this time to get really clear about why am I doing this? Why am I making music? Why am I stepping away from a known persona and the safety of an identity that has served me so well for so many years? Why? And I don't have easy answers. You know, all I know is that there's a real calling that I have to create and to work with other gifted artists to, to make things that haven't been done before. Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe that music has this extraordinary power to heal. And when music is used as a form of connection and as a form of community, it's in its highest form. And it just sort of cuts through all race and bias and gender issues and it just hits the heart. I love that aspect about this art form, and that's what calls me to it. And at the same time, I know that on this journey, I'm gonna have to have a lot of courage. I, I'm gonna have to have the courage to show up as me and to ask for help and to put my art out to people that are not gonna like it and not gonna understand it and gonna just be like, oh, this is shit. <gasps> and, and realize it's not about me. Right? It's not about, they didn't insult me. Uh -huh. If I believe my art is good, it's good. It just wasn't for them. And so I'm trying to learn a lot of skills that I could hide in this other persona because it wasn't about me, it was about the company. Uh -huh. Now it's about this art. It's very, and I'm, I'm now on the journey that a lot of artists are where they're like feeling just ravaged by critique or creative notes and just, oh, you know, how could they not understand my vision? And for me, I'm getting to this place where I'm like, I welcome your notes because if there's something I'm not hearing, I want to know because I'm going to learn. And I might not agree with you and that's totally okay. <laughs> and it's not about me because the ego at this part is like, no way in which I'm making music is about my ego. I genuinely believe that it's like this beautiful form that we are gifted when it comes through and it comes through clean, it's like, it's really not of us. It's for us and it's for others. But when we get our ego involved in art making, it kind of ruins it. It kind of bonsai's it. I, I love just pure expression. And when you stand in pure expression, people can say they hate your song. You're like, that's cool. Because yeah. it's not about you. And that's probably been, for me, as I'm sort of moving into the space, that's been one of the biggest gifts. It's like, oh, wow, I can really take criticism for the first time in my life. It kind of goes along with the fact that a lot of times when people release their first album it, it, and it becomes a big hit is because it resonates oftentimes. Right. Then they try to recreate that. You know, the first album they were writing for you know, three of their friends. Right. Uh, but the second one they're writing for like 100,000 people and they're trying to please everybody. And when you do that, you lose who you are. Totally. It all goes together. So, uh, I think this is a, like you said, this, uh, if you're an artist and you're listening to the show, keep producing, keep, you know, do the inner work, take this time to really reflect on the why that you're doing this, like with, uh, Kelly mentioned, but also, um, you know, keep creating. This is a, a, a perfect time to do some really great work. It's going to come out. You know, they said there's going to be like a, like a lot of uh, 
new births coming up in, the, in a couple of months yeah. while this uh, quarantining, but I'm hoping that there's also this rebirth of, of musical genius. And There will be. And if we're already seeing it, we're already seeing it. There's so much good stuff coming out. You know, it's, it's finally an occasion for people to stop the excuses and to just create. And so we're going to see a creative renaissance that is going to blow us away within the next two years. And I do believe we're going to start to see new ways for money to, for, for music to be monetized that we haven't seen before in ways that artists can start to create sustainable, you know, a sustainable, healthy relationship with their art. It's coming and it's going to be in this period in the of darkness and uncertainty and, and scarcity out of which we're going to get smarter. We're going to do things differently because we have to. But at the end, it's going to be, and, and, and even during the process, we're going to see some beautiful stuff come in to reality. That's what makes all of the dark times worth it. This is just a process. It's like exhaling and inhaling. We need to exhale sometimes. For the last 12 years, it's been the long inhale. Mm -hmm. And now we get to breathe out. So just in terms of tools that people can take and just do something with immediately, Yes. Um, I got a couple of recommendations. All right. So self-discovery. I require this for everybody that goes to the backline program is to take a assessment through Gallup poll. It's called Strength Finders. And there's oh, yeah. a book called Now Discover Your Strengths. And it was written like 30 years ago. It's brilliant. They've updated it multiple times. But the Strength Finder profile will tell you the things, like the top five things and how you how your brain organizes and processes information, the talent you have for it. You can unlock it to see all 34 and how you know, different things rank out. And for me, this was a life-changing experience because working in IT and working in technology my whole life, I always assumed I was analytical and I had to be able to, to show how logical and analytical I was. Turns out that was dead last and I was exhausting myself. And I just, I can't think analytically to save my life but I am strategic. And so I was using that skill in a, in a very weird way. But once I got clear on that, I was able to partner with people in different ways and say, okay, I need somebody who's analytical. I need to you know, get somebody over here who's really good at arranging things in the optimum flow because I'm a strategic. But I'm, I'm like, I know I want to take that mountain. I just don't know how. And there's people who have that talent to put it all together. So this is, it woke up in me a real understanding and at first, not exactly appreciation. I was angry at my profile. I was like, oh, these are so stupid. Why do I have these? Positivity was my number one, such a shocker. I hated it because it was so feminine and it's not what a tech CEO is supposed to be. I mean, like more of a cheerleader than anything, but it's really who I am. <laughs> and I also realized in the process of doing this that my positivity was the thing that unlocked my ability to be an entrepreneur because it's so freaking hard that the ability to see the silver lining in any terrible situation, which is really that gift, was what kept me in the game long enough for good luck to catch up with me. Hmm. So I highly recommend Strength Finders. It's, you know, depending on which text you unlock, it can be $15 to $50, um, but it's so worth it. It'll give you insight into how you think, and it's unique to you. Only one in 33 million will have the same profile. So that's one tool to look into. The second one is the book, Artist Way. For those of you who have not read Julia Cameron's Artist Way, this is a perfect time to do it. It's a 12 week, you know, book. And so you can walk through it. You can find a group online, 
but there's two tools that she has in there. One is the morning pages, super simple. Every morning, just freehand write three full pages on like legal size paper. It's brilliant for unblocking and getting artistic. But, but after you write down your to-do list and you do the grocery list, suddenly you'll write a poem and it'll be like a really good poem. Sometimes it'll be a terrible poem. I've gone through pages of haiku. I've also gone through pages of, I hate my morning pages and I hate doing this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. But that tool has been a gift to me during quarantine. Those two tools, Gallup Poll International, Strength Finder, Now Discover Your Strengths, pairing that up with The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. If I can't, you know, choose one, choose both, do it all. But, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what a difference it makes. Oh, thank you so much. This has been such a valuable conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners will have learned a lot too. And it's great connecting with you. Uh, we were connected by somebody uh, in common at a conference that I went to, at a virtual conference course. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy, so I'm going to thank them a lot. And thank you so much for your time. I'll put uh, everything in the show notes as much as I can uh, find. So it'll be a rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. And we'll put everything there, the links to the strength finders. Uh, we'll put the link to your book and yeah, the thanks. books that you recommend. And uh, it'll be great. So thank you so much. And, uh, thank you. Look for, I'm sure this is going to be a conversation we're going to have on a regular basis. So until next time. Thank you, Randall. Before I end the show, I just wanted to include a little bonus track. We obviously talk a little bit after the recording is done, and I found this little clip to be so valuable that I wanted to make sure that we included it in this episode. So here it is. And I think we have to crack the show because the show hasn't really innovated in a long time. There's more pyrotechnics, depending on how much money you make. Maybe there's more artistry and graphics, but it's still people staring at somebody performing. And maybe there's some like, how's it going, Milwaukee? <laughs> you know, like yeah. Sometimes there's some banter and some artists are better at it than others. Some there's a little comedy, but it's, it's stale and it's not gonna survive post COVID. Like we need to change this because I think everybody's looking for more connection. So I love your idea. That's a long-winded way of saying it. If you enjoy the show, share it with other musicians. Help us spread the word. Theme song written and performed by Wolves at Midnight. Thanks for listening to the Rockstar Today podcast. Now go out there and rock your business like you rock the stage.